Hello and welcome to Haaretz Weekly. I'm Allison Kaplan-Summer in Tel Aviv. September is here, summer is over. It's a time that Israelis have both been waiting for and dreading a little bit at the same time. All summer, week after week, every Saturday night, thousands have continued to show up at demonstrations protesting the Netanyahu government's judicial overhaul. But at the same time, there's been a sense of wait and see for the fall. And now, the High Court of Justice will begin hearing petitions to strike down the law that the Knesset passed in July. That law would severely limit judges' use of the reasonableness standard. The law is the first in the judicial revolution that the government is pursuing and that has brought Israelis into the streets. After that, following the Jewish holidays, comes the next session of the Knesset when we will find out how much of the overhaul the government will pursue and at what pace. But there is another landmark event happening this autumn just two weeks after the Knesset session begins. It's an election. Not a national election, but an election nonetheless. This year's municipal elections, where mayors and city council members face the voters, are going to be very, very different from previous local elections. They are being seen this year as an opportunity for Israelis to translate the sentiments of the mass protests, at least in some way, into votes. In Tel Aviv, which is the red-hot center of the protest movement, an alliance has been formed. A political party representing the anti-judicial overhaul protest movement is running in the Tel Aviv municipal elections on a joint ticket with the left-wing Meretz party and the Green Center party. Their joint venture is called the New Contract Party. And new contract representatives will run in local elections in the cities of Tel Aviv, Herzliya, Hodasharon, Ranana, and Rehovot. I am happy to have on the podcast two representatives of this list in the Tel Aviv race. The first, Noah Efron, is neither a newcomer to Tel Aviv municipal politics or to podcasts. He is a longtime activist and a founding member of the Green Party in Israel. He was a city council member from 2008 until 2011. In his spare time, he's a professor at Bar-Ilan University, and he's the host of the Promise podcast, which, full disclosure, I have been a panel member on for the past 12 years. Hi, Noah. <laughs> Great to see you in a different place, but also behind a microphone. Different setting. Joining Noah is a representative of the protest movement's move into politics. Inbal Opaz is part of the high-tech protest, and she is now taking the big leap. She is also no stranger to Haaretz. Before her move into high-tech, she was a crack business reporter here at The Marker. Hi, Inbal. Hi, Alison. Pleasure to be here. Great to have you back in the Haaretz building. So, Inbal, let me start with you. Tell us about your journey from high tech to the protest movement and now into Tel Aviv municipal politics. Thank you, Alison. So it's a great place to hold this conversation because as someone who covered the Israeli tech industry for so long here at The Marker as a tech journalist, I understood how important and how essential this sector is to the whole Israeli economy. But at the same time, I was in many cases a bit maybe disappointed or concerned that the people who are part of this sector are not really involved into politics and into what is going on in the Israeli society. Because this sector has, you know, a great power. And we all know that with great power comes uh, great uh, responsibility. And for 
most of the time, I felt that the people who lead this industry, the investors, the founders, the entrepreneurs, the executives, the people who work in this industry in both Israeli and multinational companies, that they live here, but they focus on other places. It could be in the States or other markets, but they were not really involved here. It was leave us alone. We don't really care or we don't get involved. It's not our part. Except for laws that had to do with making their companies able to function here. You know, the business, they, they were engaged, you know, certainly on a business level in politics. But business worked as usual and things were just fine for most of the time. Maybe the one occasion that was an exception was in 2018 that they took part in the LGBTQ fight to get the right for gay couples to become parents. So that was maybe the only one example that we can mention where the tech industry got really politically involved. Since the beginning of this year, after the announcement of the judicial reform or overall, it depends uh, how you call it, we started to see more and more people from this industry starting to talk loud and to be concerned because, as you said, the businesses may be focusing on other markets, but the companies are here and are dependent on the local law. And we all know that for the last year or so, there's a global recession, not only in Israel, but the whole tech market is slowing down, investments are going down. And Israel is in a very unique situation because in one hand, the tech sector is really crucial to the economy. It's about half of our export, almost 18% of the GDP, about 10% of the employees who pay about quarter of the income tax. So it's really important for the economy. But the money that funds this industry comes from other markets. And mostly 90% comes from the private sector and most of it comes from foreign investors. So if the foreign investors won't come here, then the companies that are here at the moment, they won't be able you know, to function anymore. And we won't see new companies and new startups establishing here in Israel. So tell me about you, from your perspective in the high-tech world, watching all of a sudden this world, which was in its own bubble, transform, become very involved in the protest movement, and your own motivation, how did you get so involved in the high-tech protest? Once this government got elected, I felt that all of my identities are under an attack as a woman, as a secular person, as someone who's part of the tech sector. All of my identities were under attack and I understood that if I want to live here, and I do want to live here, to live in Israel and to live in Tel Aviv in this city, I must fight for the future of this country because the country that they want this country to become, it's not an option for me. So what did you do? How did you get involved in the protests? What do you do as a protest activist? At first, we run most of the protests through uh, the WhatsApp app. We have, I don't know, by now I guess that I have uh, hundreds of different WhatsApp groups that I'm involved in. Within the tech protests, we have two main organizations. One is mostly for the leaders of the industry, of the investors, and the other one is mostly for the employees, but we work closely together and I'm involved with anything that we have to do. 
we had to build the organization. We had, you know, to make it function, to understand who is doing what. And I'm doing whatever I can to help with it. It may be sometimes even just, you know, to convey the message and to share the world and, you know, not only outside Israel, but also within Israel and within the industry and to understand the situation and what is going on and to be outside while protesting. And we've done it a lot in the last eight months. And it became a main part of my life. So after being a journalist and covering the politics and being an activist and fighting the politics, what made you take the decision to enter politics and to run in these municipal elections? Were you approached? Did you approach them? How did it work? First, I would say that back at 2020 and 2021, we also had another, I would say, run protest here in Israel. And uh, back at the time, it was during COVID. And I understood that if we want to be part of the change and we want to influence the decision being made, we must be in the places where decisions are made. There is no other way. But I thought, you know, as someone who lives in Tel Aviv, it's a liberal city. I think it's the best city in the world. Uh, you have uh, the best food, the best beaches, the best people, everything is really good. But I said, okay, in this city, we don't have a real problem. But then I realized that even in Tel Aviv, our liberal life are at risk. I would say. And then when they approached me and they offered me to be part of this mission, I was happy to become involved. Noah, in your announcement that you were running in this uh, election, you wrote that voting for parties like this one will, quote, show that there is an alternative to the politics of the Netanyahu government. It will be a first step in building a new coalition that with the next national election will replace Benjamin Netanyahu and the fanatics in his coalition. How are you going to make the link between local elections and this national fight clear to your voters? Well, I think that there are three ways in which what's going on every week in Kaplan and then in demonstrations around the country are linked to our run in municipal politics and the parallel lists that are running in cities all over Israel representing coalitions of existing parties, usually in the the center-left or the liberal parties and groups from the protests. And the three ideas are, first of all, and to quote Leonard Cohen, first we take Manhattan. The idea is that when we wake up on November 1st, the elections are on October 31st, Halloween, if you're an American. Um, when we wake up the what following morning and there are in... 50 cities around the country, important parts of each city council and some number of mayors as well, who their identity was forged primarily politically in these protests. It will be dramatic and it will feel both to the people in Jerusalem, in the government and in the opposition, but also to people, to voters all around the country as though something major has happened. A voice has been voiced and it has to be heard. That's the first thing. The second way in which the protests are linked to our run in municipal politics is, I think what Inbal was saying in part, is that even in a place like Tel Aviv, there's a feeling as though someone needs to make sure that the ambient values of the Netanyahu government, which is to say the values that are less sympathetic to secularism, the values that are less concerned about the place of women in the public square or the place of queer people in the public square, that those the values of Tel Aviv be protected against those people. The second statement is we are going to protect 
Tel Aviv from these winds coming from outside. Some people feel as though that's very, very important in Tel Aviv. I personally think that most every party running in the municipal elections in Tel Aviv will be committed to protecting those values, which are you know, ultimately what Tel Aviv is all about and what all of us across most of the political spectrum love about Tel Aviv. But that's another thing. And then the third thing, and for me, this is the most exciting thing, is to figure out how to translate the values that we see in the protests. So every week we all go on Saturday night and we're holding placards if we're not holding flags and we're chanting chants and what we're saying is democracy and we're saying pluralism and we're saying the dignity of humans and we're saying protect people's freedoms. And how does one translate all of those big values into particular things. What city government does is very banal. I mean, uh, yeah, to I me, say, it's beautiful. How does that connect to the potholes in the streets? And well, the, and yeah. how, Right. How does that connect to the sidewalks? How does it connect to the... Well, one way it connects is that, and this is really important actually in Tel Aviv, is that Tel Aviv has not been run in a particularly democratic way ever. It's a place where traditionally the mayor has bought the support of all the political parties by appointing deputy mayors and insisting that they follow his bidding. There has been very little room for citizens to express their opinions. The control that citizens have over the budget is limited. So one way is to actually figure out ways to get residents of the city's voices to be heard about the things that matter to them. So, for instance, neighborhoods should be able to control a portion of the budget that affects their neighborhoods, and they should be able to decide. We want to turn this bomb shelter into an art center, or we want to have, you know, money monthly block parties. That's one kind of way that it, it happens. And then there's other things, too, about you know deciding about the values only of the city. Only in Israel, only in Israel, the, an issue of should we turn our bomb shelter also into an art center? <laughs> it's true. Um, and then there are really you know big questions at stake. The city has, I think, for a long time preferred wealthy people over less wealthy people, trying to increase the tax base of the country and has built in such a way, you know, has built a vast number of five-room apartments and a very small number of two-room apartments. And the result of that is that it's a very difficult place for young people and people who aren't wealthy to live. Some might even say that it's the most expensive city in the Western world, though. Yes, some people might like even the, say that. Like the OECD survey, perhaps. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so one of the things to do is to, a apropos democracy, apropos respecting people's decency, apropos rights, is to ask questions about the city's priorities. And so, and that work is exquisitely detailed and often it's very banal. It's like you're sitting in a committee talking about, should we limit this or should we expand this? Where should we spend the money? And that is an extremely exciting challenge to turn the, the big words with the capital letters, you know, the freedom, democracy into policy is like, is the most exciting challenge that there is. And there's a lot to be done in this city and all the cities of Israel. Inbal, why doesn't the protest movement run separately? You constantly hear these protests, they're not about right and left, they're about democracy and not having democracy. Why join with Meretz and the Green Party? The protests have tried so hard not to be affiliated with any traditional political party. Isn't running with Meretz and the Greens kind of 
placing yourself on the far left of the political map and risking the image of the protest movement as being a far left movement that maybe people in the center, center right are not comfortable in. And others, you know, view joining the protesters or co-opting or adopting the protesters and their support as the strategic survival move by Meretz, who lost its seats in the Knesset. Their national organization is really not there. And kind of this is how they're pivoting into strengthening themselves. You sure that this is the right move? I think we can stipulate that everyone loves the Green Party. It's really, <laughs> about it's really popular nowadays. And it's not far left at all. <laughs> the young people now, they suffer from the climate anxiety, so uh, it's working. Going back to your question, if there's one thing that we learned last year, it would be the municipal elections are going to be exactly one year following the national elections. And if there was one thing that we've learned is that we, we must unite and we must work together to uh, focus on the things that we share and the values that we share. And in this case, we believe that we bring the energy and all the big words that Noah just uh, mentioned about democracy and liberal values and what does it mean in the city. And we bring it together with people who have previous experience working in municipality. But you don't think it might harm the protest movement if you are identified this closely with the political left? We have to remember that this is what is happening in Tel Aviv. In other city, Jose Hadash or New Contract may unite with other parties. Uh, it's going to be separate in every city, every place. So this is what we do in Tel Aviv. And we have to remember that this is Tel Aviv and it's uh, a more lefty city and it's uh, a liberal city. So the feedback that we get is is very good. People love the idea. The repeat it all the time to say, yeah, this is the right thing to do. And this is not the end. We still have about, I think, two weeks to build the whole group and we might uh, unite with other parties as well. Noah, you're a big let's all work together kind of guy. And municipal politics in Israel has often been about parties that are, you know, on the big issues, very opposed, you know, joining hands and working together for the local good. But political tensions have now spilled into the municipal arena. You've got Yair Lapid of Yeshatid and Ben Gvir of Otsma Yudit announcing that they'll basically boycott each other on the municipal level. They're going to forbid representatives of their parties to sit with the other side. What do you think about these sort of winds of political tension invading local politics. There's also a dark side to what you're saying in terms of trying to turn the big values into local issues. Well, I wouldn't call it a dark side. I think that the direction of political change has to be come from the be pointed exactly in the opposite way from the local to the national. It's absurd to declare prima facie that, you know, because parties disagree about important things in nationally that they're not going to cooperate locally i mean it is true that there are there are values that are expressed at the national level that also are important at the local level so it's very hard for me to imagine finding a whole lot of common ground with someone who might support Benvir at the national level. Though where we find the common ground, I think that it's valuable to take advantage of it and to create in the city working relationship that can maybe change the bellicosity and the, and the anger and also the childishness that often characterizes the politics in Jerusalem. What's the story with the race for mayor? We've got Ron Huldai, who has been the, you know, presided over Tel Aviv becoming the nexus of the protest movement. He renamed Kaplan Street Intersection Democracy Square. He's been very, very supportive of the protest movement. And 
his challenger is Ona Barbivai, who's a Knesset member for Yesh Atid, get the feeling that the protesters are more pro Barbivai and that, you know, because of the identification. How do you guys relate to this sort of fight over whether you're going to stay with Huldai, who, what, this is his fifth term or something? Yes. He's presided over the establishment of the light rail and so many things. And now this challenge, which is kind of coming from someone who's saying it's time for someone new. And to a certain extent, the protesters have identified as their candidate. People, when they hear that we run together, so first they say, congratulations, we're really happy. And then the first question would be, so who should we vote for the mayor? And from our side, the answer is, whoever you want is good for us. As long as it's a liberal candidate and all of the leading uh, candidates are liberal, it's good for us. But we want to be the big party and to be able to protect the values. And Nach mentioned some examples of things that are happening within the city that are crucial. But there are other things that we know we saw, for example, in the last uh, few years, that in Israel, we don't have public transportation over the weekend on Saturdays. And for I don't know how long is it right now, maybe two years or three years, we have shuttles and buses around the area of Tel Aviv and the city surrounding it. And this is an initiative of the city, of the municipality. So there are things that are happening within the government, but are other things that could be changed through the municipalities. And nowadays, we, we understand what we have to fight for events, for example, that don't separate men and women, things that has to do with education and what the kids are being taught in schools. So there are some important fights that we know that we will have to fight and we have to be strong in order to do so. So for us, it's not important to the mayor is going to be, but to be able to protect the values. And they're both declared technocrats. Both of them say we're not about ideology. We're managers. Huldai, some years ago, said that he views this, the residents of the city as as consumers of city services. And Barbie Vi feels similarly. The good thing about technocrats is that they're easy to work with, is that, you know, we, we want the city to work well and we can work with either one of them until someone more inspiring. You're a green party, green party transportation guy. Your thing has been public transportation. It's true. In your last go round in the Tel Aviv City Council, you're also religious. You keep Shabbat. We had people chaining themselves to the opening of the light rail, you know, in protest of it not being open on Shabbat. And um, also on transportation, we've got the national politicization of it uh, with Transportation Minister Miri Regev holding budgets hostage to clear up the traffic and for public transportation in the center of the country because she believes a priority should be connecting the periphery of the country to Tel Aviv. How do you feel about all that, Noah? Well, first of all, about Shabbat, to me, it is one of the great historical mistakes and injustices of this country that there is no public transport on Shabbat because what does it mean? It means that people who can afford to have a car or to pay for taxis can get wherever they want. And people who depend upon public transport to live their lives and to get where they want have to stay at home. And that is an an outrage. It has always been an outrage. And I am deeply, deeply opposed to it. One of the reasons why it was so attractive to me to join with Meretz is because that project that Imbal mentioned, it's called Naim Besofash, which is a play on words. It means it's pleasant on the weekend and you can move on the weekend. That 
project, which has buses running all through the metropolitan area on Shabbat for free, is something that the head of our party, the head of Merits in Tel Aviv and the head of our list, Meital Lahavi, it was her idea and she created it. And we need to find ways to do that. I wish that the new train ran on Shabbat. I wish that there were trains running on Shabbat up and down the country all the time and also buses. That will not happen and that will not be something that we have any power to change when we are in city council. That will have to be members of Knesset who ultimately change that. But what we can do is find solutions like the solution that Metal found in the interim, and we do have the power to do this if we're creative, and that absolutely has to be done. Everyone needs to be able to move through the city every day of the week. I would only just add about that. There are neighborhoods in Tel Aviv that are religious neighborhoods where they don't want to have noisy, sooty buses running on streets that are more than 50% religious, and all planning needs to take account into those people too. This is their home as well, and the buses shouldn't run on those particular streets, but boy, should they run. What about the conflict between really wanting to deal with the serious congestion and traffic problems in the center versus the social justice issues that Miri Regev is bringing up of connecting the periphery to the center being a priority over fixing the problems in the center of the country. Yeah, I don't understand that as an either or issue. It seems as though that's just like needlessly politicizing, trying to turn the periphery against the center and vice versa. I think that there that the periphery deserves to have excellent public transportation. No one who lives in Tel Aviv can complain about getting too few resources from the national government. We're a rich city. At the same time, our problems can and need to be taken care of. They're often not problems of money. Uh, they're problems of planning. And so somebody needs to sit on maps. I mean, people are doing it all, all the time. But somebody with our point of view needs to sit on maps and figure out how to make the city move. Another place where Tel Aviv municipal issues and fiery national debate uh, has overlapped for a long time, but it's sort of rekindled now, is uh, with the African asylum who make up such a huge part of the South Tel Aviv population. We had a horrendously violent incident this weekend with Eritrean asylum seekers. Some 170 people were injured in these clashes with police, and they're infighting between the groups of supporters and opponents of the Eritrean regime. There are police in riot gear firing tear gas and stun grenades on the streets of Tel Aviv, live rounds, officers on horseback trying to push the protesters away. So, Benjamin Netanyahu, our prime minister, said a red line has been crossed. He's ordering a new plan to remove all African migrants from uh, Israel. We don't exactly know where they're going to send them since you're not allowed to send them back to Eritrea. And in the meantime, Justice Minister Yariv Levine and National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gvir have suggested that African migrants living in South Tel Aviv be forcibly moved to North Tel Aviv. Why not put them where the rich people live? What does a liberal... Tel Aviv city council candidate say about all this in terms of the whole north-south dynamic in Tel Aviv and the visible distress of the South Tel Aviv residents about what goes on around them. And they're pointing to this incident and saying, this is what we live with all the time, this kind of violence. First of all, the problems of the migrant workers and the refugees and asylum seekers from Eritrea and the Sudan in South Tel Aviv is a problem that the government created some years ago, a couple of decades ago, and has done nothing to improve, and it has festered. And the government in Jerusalem has a lot to answer for and needs to do a lot. That said, it is true that Tel Aviv can and should do more, both for the sake of 
the migrants and asylum seekers and refugees, and also very, very much for the sake of the people who have lived in those neighborhoods in the south of the city, especially around the bus terminal, those neighborhoods that have basically been destroyed, overrun, where the holding capacity of the neighborhood is vastly, vastly exceeded by the number of people who live there and crime has gone up. And there are people who huddle in fear in their apartments who, you know, they might have moved to the country 50 or 70 years ago or the children of people who moved to the country and who are hard scrabble and the city has done too little to support them. It's intriguing. And it what is, would you do, Noah? I think there's no one thing that needs to be done in the city. First of all, the national government needs to be lobbied to find a more serious solution. Because once, you know, we had this big headline of this kind of uprising fight and violence this past weekend. When it dies down, people will forget about it and they will be talking about the same old things. But within the city, I think that, by the way, the criticism that says that the problem of the refugees needs to be spread more equitably in some way around the city and that it shouldn't just be that we all feel happy and comfortable letting those few neighborhoods have that entire problem. I think that there's something to that, exactly what you do. There's nothing to Itamar Ben-Vir's populism. He once bust, he once personally rented a whole bunch of buses and he bust a bunch of refugees and migrant workers into my neighborhood. He took them all to the Gordon Pool, which is right near my house, and he paid their entry. And then he filmed the people who are who look just like me, the people who live in the north of the city who are more or less well off. And he filmed their horrified faces to suddenly be surrounded by refugees. And he said, aha, aha, it's fine if you when the people from, you know, the old migrants from Morocco, when they have to live with the refugees, but you don't want to. And that's not 100 percent entirely wrong. I think that what has to be done is that people need to sit down again on maps and figure out exactly what kinds of interim solutions we can find to make the lives of all the people who live in those neighborhoods, whether they're black or white, whether they're Jewish or not Jewish, to make all those lives better. What are you thinking, Val? First of all, Saturday, it was horrible to watch what is going on, like street fights uh, here in Tel Aviv. And I feel sorry for everyone, for the people involved, for the policemen involved, for the people who live in the neighborhoods. I have friends, you know, walk up because they heard the, the shots of the gun. So it's horrible. And it is true that a red line was crossed and it's awful. And the police was not prepared and the chief commander of the Tel Aviv police didn't know what to do. There was a big mess there and we also feel it during our protest. There was a big issue about the whole what is happening with the police in Tel Aviv. So as Noch said, first of all, it's a problem of the government. It's the national level and there was a solution that was suggested by Benjamin Netanyahu back in 2018 and then a few hours later got cancelled. So we do have to approach this problem as a country, of course, also as a city, but to understand what is going on and to support also the local communities who live in those areas of the city. And it was a traumatical day for all of them. When you speak to the people who live there, it's a scary situation that you live in a war zone suddenly. To wrap up and like widen our perspective on what's going on, why you're running, you know, how you're running, what the atmosphere is, can I have your thoughts on how the protest movement, how what's been going on in the past eight months has changed Tel Aviv 
life has changed, your life has changed how you feel about living in this city and in this country. We hear such divergent points of view. We hear people frustrated, fed up, even thinking of leaving the country over this. And others feel kind of re-energized and re-inspired and recommitted to where they live and why they live there. You're running for office. So, you know, obviously we know which side you're falling on. But do you really feel like the past eight months have changed you, the people around you? And no, I'm particularly interested in your perspective as an immigrant from the United States, even though it was a very long time ago that you moved here. But I'll start with Inbal. So first of all, I would say that going to Kaplan Street, this is the place that where we hold the protest, I can't go there anymore. You know, I used to go there. I did my uh, military service in uh, the camp that is uh, located right there. So I can't go there anymore, even though apparently we would continue going there week after week until uh, who knows when, you know how much is needed. We signed the protest. One group, we're going to win together. In Hebrew, it sounds much better. (laughs) And we also say that finally we woke up. And this is the sentiment that I feel. And this is also the sentiment of this whole uh, campaign for the municipalities all around Israel. Because it's not that we didn't care, but we're not really involved. And now we understand that we have to be involved. And I think that we understand that we are a group and that we are some kind of, you know, of a camp. I would say, and suddenly people talk about the big issues. So I'm optimistic. I hope that things are going to be better because we're starting to talk about the big issues. But even you just said that we know which side we are on, but eventually we have to live here together. We live here together and we have to work together, everyone all parties, not only Jewish and not only liberal people. We have to live here together. And this is going to be, I think, the big challenge to make all the groups within Israel live together and to feel equal and to feel that we all have the same, you know, rights. So this is my feeling at the moment. No, you can't be accused of having been uninvolved before this. But uh, how has your life and perspective changed as a result of the past eight months? Well, it's true that most of all the last few months have reinforced things that I have already seen in the past and felt in the past, especially here in Tel Aviv, but it has powerfully reinforced these. And I remember the you know, the first demonstration just had about thirty thousand people. It just came a couple of days after Yariv Lavin, the Minister of Justice, announced that he had this plan. And it took place near the Bima National Theater, and it was 35,000 people. And it was amazing that so many people had seemingly spontaneously just come to this place at this time. And then the next week, there were 80,000, and then there were 120,000, and then there were 200,000. And then it started to happen in other places, and there were 500,000. I remember the first time that I walked onto Kaplan when it was, and this was just maybe the third week when, or the second week even, when there were hundreds of thousands of people, and I just felt like I wanted to cry. And why was it? Because it was so beautiful to see all this, like, political commitment. And what you had there are, you know, people with signs saying what I believe. And you had, you know, a 90-year-old man holding a sign saying, I'm, you know, I fought in the Palmach and I'm here fighting again. And you had little girls on the shoulders of their fathers who are talking to them about democracy and talking to them about their hopes for this place and what country they wanted to raise these children in and what they're fighting for. And 
it's so beautiful to see that much energy. That's the second week. That's still January. And then it happens the following week and the following week and the following week and the following week. And each time, it's just the most astonishing outpouring of political commitment, which is a synonym, another way of saying the word love. It's like love for each other and love for this country. And it's really, really moving. So for someone like me, you know, I've, I've always found a great deal of inspiration in politics. You know, people giving up their nights to sit in a living room to talk about something in order to do something. It's an amazing thing that anyone ever does that. And then to see hundreds of thousands of people giving up every single Saturday night. And of course, it's not really just every Saturday night. It's also many other days as well. It just makes you feel so buoyed and so empowered and so surrounded by energy. And you know, the energy is so positive. It's like we believe in this place. We want to make this place into the, the place where we always said we wanted to raise our children. We want to make this into a place where we would never think of leaving. It's beautiful. Wow, that is a great note to end on. Usually no, I struggle to find <laughs> usually I struggle to find a positive note to end on, but you've provided a wonderful one. Noah Inbal, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much, Alison. And that wraps things up for Haaretz Weekly. Thanks to my producer, Avri Rosensvi, and my editor, Maya Ben Nissan. I'm Alison Kaplan Summer, and until next week, Shalom from Tel Aviv. Thank you.